Welcome to the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. Have you ever wondered how people succeed in real estate and what steps they took to get there? If so, this podcast is for you. Your hosts, Sayla and Eileen Prack, interview top experts in the real estate community to share with you their real estate journey and how they achieved massive success. Our goal is to provide you with valuable real estate resources and to help you apply it to your own real estate goals. Hello, this is Adam Carswell, the host of Dream Chasers, and you're tuned in to the How Do They Do It Real Estate Podcast. If you like this show, first of all, you have phenomenal taste. Second of all, if you want to listen to another next level show like this, just click our link in the description and smash that subscribe button. It would be an honor for us to enrich your mind, body, and soul as well. Welcome everyone to today's episode of the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Eileen Prack, and today our guest is Brandon Bateman. And he is the CEO of Bateman Collective, and he's been personally involved in and managed projects totaling more than $100 million of digital marketing spend. And he spent over 10,000 hours perfecting the process of generating motivated seller leads online using PPC, Facebook ads, and SEO. And he successfully generated leads in more than 50 markets across the United States. So Brandon, thank you so much for being on the show today and welcome. Yeah, thank you. Excited to be here. So Brandon, can you share with us a little bit more about your background and your focus, how you got into the digital marketing space and why you decided to focus on real estate specifically? Yeah, happy to share that with you. So my background is a little bit weird because this company is kind of my background. It was one of the first things I ever did professionally. You know, I started this company back when I was in college and what the kind of the position that I was in there was I was very interested in marketing. All I knew is I just wanted to help companies market and I wanted to help them be successful that way. I wasn't quite sure what that meant or, or how that would work or anything, but you know, I started working with a, a variety of different companies, just you know, running ads and stuff like that. One of those companies we ran into was a wholesaling company. I don't know how much you know about wholesaling or, or that kind of niche within real estate. It's generally, I mean, not all the time, sometimes it's going to be multifamily stuff, but it's generally going to be like residential and it's basically companies that specialize in finding off-market properties. And then they sell those off-market properties to an end buyer, you know, be it through some type of creative finance deal or they're selling to a hedge fund to be part of the portfolio, or maybe the company themselves start buying and holding it or they're flipping it or like tons of different things that people are doing with those properties. And they're just, you know, sort of niche kind of real estate investment company. So I ran into this company that, you know, I was just so used to selling stuff online. This company basically said, we don't want to sell stuff. We want to buy stuff. You know, can you help us buy houses? And I figured, well, might as well give it a shot. We, we're still working with them now. And it's been, it's been about four years. But at the same time, we started working with a whole bunch of other companies like them. Because we found that their revenue, we were able to over 6x their revenue while keeping the exact same spend. And they eventually grew to, to have a very profitable channel from digital marketing. We found that what we do really works well in that particular industry in terms of finding motivated seller leads. And we took that as an opportunity to find other companies like them and and basically build that up as a niche for the business. So that kind of summarizes what we do now. We work with a, a bunch of different investors at this point, over 100 different investors across different, different markets in the United States. And generally, the people we look, work with are investors that are wanting to find off-market properties, typically residential single-family housing, to purchase at a discount. And they basically use us as a partner to generate leads for them to kind of fuel that portion of their business. Got it. So how does 
that process work like if they are looking to generate more leads to come in? How does your company come in and how do you set it up? Like, what are the steps that are needed to be able to start generating more leads? And why is it important to have partner with a company like yours to be able to pull in and increase that volume? Yeah, good question. So the first part is knowing who you're after. Like most companies, I imagine your company also has some type of target person that you're looking to connect with that provides value to your business and and just finding out where those people spend their time and what kind of things they search, for example. You know, all those things are ways that you kind of start those campaigns. And then the whole idea is you start putting yourself in the right positions. Uh, Like let's just say we look at we look at the motivated seller space. What a lot of our clients are doing is we identify keywords like, for example, if someone searches into Google sell my house fast for cash. And that single thing that they did there is probably more predictive of their behavior than almost any other thing because it demonstrates intent. They're actively searching for a solution. So how can we get in touch with that person? Well, we can show up in the Google search engine results organically. We could run paid ads on Google to show up there. We can understand how to buy the advertising inventory in the most efficient ways and what exactly it's worth and how to have a website that's going to convert as many of those people that come to it as possible. And all those different things are kind of portions of the marketing strategy that help that happen. So generally, we just have to identify what are we going after? What is a signal that that person is out there? In this case, that could be a search term that they could search into Google. And then after that, our clients do all kinds of different things with the leads. Generally, it goes to a salesperson. That salesperson is you know, acquisitions manager is what they call them. And that person will work with a seller and negotiate and it can become a deal. And then they have an exit strategy on the deal. But that's sort of what the process looks like from beginning to start. And the in a market like this, the reason that's important is there's less inventory than ever before. And people pretty much have two options if you're looking to, to uh, find properties. You're either going to overpay because... On the MLS, everything's going ridiculously high priced. And there's, if you look at like even just lists from wholesalers and stuff like that, it's so expensive that when you traditionally buying at 70 or 80% of market value, a lot of the hot markets now you're buying at over 100% of ARV on properties that are in horribly distressed conditions. And it's just ridiculous, but that's what you have to do in order to win the bids. Or you be the guy that controls the deal flow that has the leads, that understands how to be creative and find sellers that are willing to sell at a discount despite where the market's at. And a lot of our clients are doing exactly that, very successful with that because they can find deals when no one else can, which means that they are able to profit more from those deals than ever before. So you mentioned a couple of different search engines or different marketing tactics that they're able to utilize. One of them was Google. And then the other one was they could do Facebook ads. What are some of the ones that have been the most efficient to generate those leads? And do you need to do all of them or focus on just a select few? Yeah, good question. I mean, and, and the thing is, there's no less than a dozen channels that you can use online, you know, probably many more than that if you include all the small ones. So you don't, you kind of want to make sure you don't bite off more than you can chew. But at the same time, there are some synergies between different channels. And it's hard to know which one can work for your business until you try them. So I think. Really, I think that the answer to that question depends on budget. And the answer to the question, even including budget, you know, depends on your business and your industry and all that kind of stuff. We encourage our clients to work on multiple channels if they can at first, because we'll get better traction on one usually another. And it's hard to predict how that's going to happen until we actually start spending the money and see how the ads go. 
So that gives us diversification, which gives us a better chance for success. But the difference there is we've already gone through the process of picking a channel, master it, move on to the next one. And if you're in a really experimental space with your marketing, sometimes just doing a whole bunch of stuff isn't best. You kind of need to focus and master something before you can move on to something else. So I think it's really situation dependent, but we love for our clients to be diversified, but it's only because we already know what kind of strategies work for our specific clients in these different industries. But let's just say we started doing some marketing for you where your business is very different. That's one where you want to take that a little bit slower and you have to be ready for a longer ramp up and you have to kind of... You can't. You definitely can't bite off too much if you're going to do it that way because you don't know what you don't know. So, how can you track the the success of whether or not you're generating more leads? Obviously, it will turn, translate into you know more deal flow. And but, what are some of the back end metrics that you take a look at as you're building up your marketing channels and driving traffic to your websites and everything like that? What are some of the different things that you can take a look at and evaluate and analyze to make sure that particular method is working for you? I think it all comes down to the funnel. Every marketing campaign has a funnel. And if we look at, you know, it's going to be different depending on the company, but let's just say we look at the clients we typically work with. You're going to have at the very top of your funnel, you can have dollars. That's what you put into it. Those dollars are going to get you impressions. Generally, impression is when someone sees your ad. Those impressions are going to get you clicks. Those clicks are going to get you leads. Those leads are going to turn into qualified leads and qualified leads turn into appointments and appointments turn into contracts and contracts turn into deals. And that's the entire marketing funnel. The thing is, if this campaign was to work for a company, then there are assumptions that have to be true at every point in that funnel in order for that to happen. And ideally, what comes out of the bottom is revenue. What goes into the top is cost. And the ratio between those is something that's really important to measure. That's your return on investment. Basically measure the effectiveness of the campaign for the purpose of tweaking. We use all kinds of metrics that are basically just different ratios there. For example, CPM is a metric that basically measures the cost to get a thousand impressions. So that's a ratio at the very top there. You could look at lead close ratios or lead appointment ratios or grossly versus net lead, like all that kind of stuff. And generally... I think it's less... When it comes to marketing, it's less of just like you turn it on and everything works great. It's more of a measuring and tweaking kind of thing that you typically have to do. And I think the best way to do that... I think a lot of people do it very emotionally. They just kind of look at like, this is what I put into the top. This is what I got at the bottom. Something's wrong. I'm just going to change something. When in reality, there's assumptions all along there. And some of those you're most likely okay on. Some of those are not following through. If you can identify where in the funnel there's an issue, you can also identify potential solutions to fix that particular part of the funnel. And that's kind of how we would generally measure success. And that's how we would basically see how things change over time. And that guides the strategy in what I consider to be a data-driven way. So how often are you tweaking and evaluating if something is working? Is it like a couple of weeks, a couple of months before you make an adjustment to one part of the, the strategy? Ooh, that's a deep question. I apologize that none of my answers are really clear cut here because the I like statistics. I think a lot of this comes down to statistics. And one issue that we deal with in our industry is data sparsity, where we have clients where they can consider success in the marketing campaign to be that they get one property every month. If you're doing that, then you're dealing with a high level of variability because you're dealing with very small numbers. It's always an extremely small sample size that you're analyzing. So I think that different parts can be measured on different timeframes. Like let's just say we take a metric that's measured. So different parts of the funnel, you can measure at different intervals. Like if you look at, for example, the cost to get an impression, you might pay that cost 
100,000 times in a month. So you have a very good sample size. But if we're looking at, for example, the appointment to deal ratio, you might get in a good month, a deal. And that is going to take much larger sample size to really know how well you're converting appointments. So my benchmark for when something can be analyzed is when you achieve statistical significance that it's actually different from what you expected it to be. At that point, you're pretty confident about that. But that happens at different points of the funnel. It could be after a day if you're talking about CPM, and it could be after a year if you're talking about lead conversion because you need so many more data points in order to actually be confident about that. Does that make sense? We love hosting this show. When we started this podcast, we were doing all the editing and post-production ourselves. Now, we are very excited to have this particular company as a partner of the show to do all the post-production for us because it gives us the freedom to focus on the two things we care about, serving you, our listener, at a higher level and growing our own multifamily business. If you are like Sayla and me, then you want to add value to others while scaling your business. A podcast is the best way to do both, and we invite you to contact Adam Adams. He can help you launch your podcast, market your show for more listeners, and take all the post-production off your plate so you can focus on your business instead of in it. Listeners of this show can get a free consultation with Adam. To schedule your free consultation, find the link in the show notes. Yes, no, that makes a lot of sense. So I also wanted to ask you, because of the technology of how much technology that is available to us now, the environment of digital marketing itself, how has it changed for you? And what kind of changes do you see kind of happening in the digital marketing space? And is it so much more important now in today's in today's environment to be able to go digital, to be able to market digitally versus like a traditional route within real estate? I mean, I think so. I think you'd be you'd have an unpopular opinion if you suggested that the internet was going to go away or not be relevant in a few years. I think most people are kind of on board with that concept that at least some form of digital something is going to dominate. You know, the thing is, digital marketing moves fast. Platforms come and go. You know, I, I can't guarantee that people will be using Google in 10 years. Who knows? But it sure seems likely. And, and you know, if they're not, they're going to be using some type of search something. And that's going to influence behavior of people. So I think it's absolutely you know, essential as time goes on. One example is we have clients that tell us like, because they have an older demographic generally that our clients are targeting. They'll say, our people don't use Google. They don't use Facebook whatever the case is, but things grow, right? So you could, I mean, yeah, there's going to be some of those people that you're going to reach with direct mail that you're never going to reach another way because they don't use the internet and they're going to get that postcard in the mail and that's going to be the one way to reach that person. But if we look, for example, things that people who sell houses type into Google, the interesting thing is those things that show more distress over the past four years since 2018 have tripled in the number of people that are searching them monthly on Google. So we're seeing about a triple in search volume. And what that has implications of is, is a lot of basically more and more people are going to Google to find solutions or answers to their questions about what they're going to do with selling their house. And it appears to be a really strong exponential trend even since 2004, back when Google first started measuring that data. So all of the trends seem to show that things are getting more and more digital and especially as everybody's kind of getting older in the world and you know the new old people are a little bit more digital savvy that i think that becomes even more relevant even for this industry where the demographic skews older and then certainly for industries that target younger demographics so for you what is the most enjoyable part of digital marketing and what is the most frustrating aspect of digital marketing oh that's a good question if you 
can't tell. I, I like data and I like analyzing that. And, and that's probably the most enjoyable part is I like problem solving using numbers. And I think that's a lot of fun. That's also my biggest frustration or what I least enjoy. It's a love-hate uh, relationship. <laughs> yeah, because the thing is, you can never have enough data for what you're trying to do. Things like knowing that something's not working and just it's variable. Or For example, let's just say our average client, if they have the deal sizes that our average client does, they spend the average amount of money with us, all that kind of stuff. Assuming we spent, we have the absolute perfect, most perfect, most consistent marketing campaign that ever existed in the world. And it was trending towards exactly a 5x return on investment. After three months, 50% of our clients would have no return on investment. After six months, 25% of our clients would have no return on investment. And many more would have what they consider to be a bad return on investment. And the reason being, we're dealing with data sparsity. We're dealing with a lot of variability. So it absolutely kills me how you can do the same thing twice and you get completely different results. Even if sometimes the performance is the same, just based on the random variation of things and trying to see through that noise and see what's an actual trend. and what's just a trend that we're making up in the data based on the data blinding us instead of driving us is probably my most frustrating thing that I deal with because I always wish I had more information. But the reality is if you're working and you're doing marketing and you spent money for six months and you don't have anything to show for it in your marketing, those are very real dollars and probably a lot of them that you spent mm-hmm. and it could be very frustrating for you. But at the same time, if we're looking in the world of statistics, you don't really have hardly any data telling you that it's not working yet. So it's just, uh, that's kind of the, the frustrating truth when we're working with clients that have large deal sizes, which is the case because our average client's making twenty or $30,000 each time they do a deal. And it's just a game where if you're chasing it with five or 10 grand a month in budgets, it's variable. You've been in over 50 markets so far right now. So you've seen the digital marketing space across many, many different areas. Do you target, does your strategy, does your marketing strategy vary from market to market? Does it matter or is it the same across all the different markets? It's just one strategy. Just kind of curious. Yeah. I mean, there are elements that are the same. But there are elements that we find have a lot of variability across markets, um, and therefore we test them when we start working with the client. To give an example, the ad could be very similar, but you know maybe it features different creative based on where you're at because the houses look different or something like that. Or it's really common that we can use different algorithms for basically advertising inventory and valuing that and purchasing that in the most efficient way possible. I know it's a little bit confusing, but different algorithms work in different ways and are trained with different sets of data. And we find it's very common that different markets will, a different algorithm will perform better. And that's purely dependent on what your competition is doing in that market and how much data you've collected from there and all that kind of stuff. So the answer is yes, it varies, but probably in ways that most people wouldn't notice. Like if you looked at the campaign, you'd probably say those are the same, but a lot of the backend stuff is different. And that's... uh, Different markets do perform differently with different types of stuff. So we do measure based on those things that are likely to change. But some things are just never going to change. Like keywords, for example. If someone searches sell my house fast in Tennessee versus in Georgia, you know, it's probably like it means the same thing. Speak the same language, demonstrates a similar intent, we probably expect a similar quality of lead, all that kind of stuff. So that's the kind of thing that's evergreen across different areas. But then depending on competition and stuff like that, different strategies could work better locally to differentiate yourself. For someone who just getting started or looking to amp up their digital marketing presence, what are some of the steps that they should focus on first in the beginning and as they continue to grow? Good question. I think every business needs to get a Google My Business listing. 
that's a, if you go to Google My Business, you can just Google that. So you can make a listing for your business. And what's really beneficial about that is you can start gathering reviews and stuff like that. And, and that's the kind of thing that'll help your SEO long-term. Let's just say if you, in two years, you just try, you decide that you want to start, start working on SEO, that's search engine optimization. There is no way to make it in two years as if you had been gathering great reviews on your listing for the past two years. You can't fake that, accelerate that, anything like that. So there's certain things, digital marketing, that's like planting a tree. Just the sooner you can do them, the better. And I think gathering reviews and stuff like that is definitely one of those. Beyond that, I would say you have to be... I think a lot of money spent dabbling in digital marketing is kind of wasted. And maybe not as known that it's wasted because it's a small amount of money. But if you ask me if it's a small amount or a large amount of money, wasting any money is just not a good idea. So I would say like, if you do it, just make sure you do it right. See if you can work with a company that has experience in what you're doing specifically and make sure you give it sufficient budget and all that kind of stuff. I talked to a lot of people that just kind of like dabble over and over and over again and just end up wasting a lot of money. And it can look cheap because, you know, maybe hiring that company, they want 10 grand a month of budget or whatever the case is. But wasting your three grand a month over and over and over again is going to end up more expensive. And it's, you know, marketing is an investment. You know, you want to make sure you're making the right investment just with any investment, you know, whether it's a gigantic investment or a small investment, it doesn't matter if it's not a good investment. So aside from that, is there any one thing that you've noticed or you've seen or you've come across that people should not be doing when they're getting into digital marketing or a mistake that they do as they start building up that presence? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. I mean, there's, there's all kinds of different things. I'm trying to think of what people consistently are doing wrong. Honestly, I think lack, lack of consistency is the number one thing that, that people do. Just understanding variability, as frustrating as it is for me and for everybody. I talk to so many people, like I believe 95% of the time that people say this marketing campaign doesn't work or this marketing campaign worked and then now it doesn't or whatever the case is. 95% of the time, I think it's just bogus random variation that happens in campaigns. And we're unnecessarily stressing ourselves out by diving too deep into stuff that's not even statistically different from what we expect it to be. And I see so many people that just like start campaigns and then a month later, they're like, it's not working. I'm not rich from a digital marketing campaign. And it's just it takes some time. It takes some consistency. I mean, that doesn't mean that being consistent guarantees that you're going to be successful. But I think you can guarantee that you won't be successful if you aren't consistent. So at least it's a qualifier for success. No guarantees. But I think there's a, a lot of good digital marketing campaigns out there that never reach their potential because they're cut off too short. Fantastic. Well, Brandon, I appreciate coming on and sharing all about your experience and your expertise in this field. And for our listeners out there who are more interested as well in learning more about the digital marketing space, what you're doing, where's the best place that they can go? So you can always, well, let's see, in general, to learn about digital marketing, I can tell you there's a lot of information, a lot of places. So you know, just, just, just start going down the rabbit hole. If anybody out there is a, an investor that wants to find um, off-market residential properties, they can always feel free to reach out to us and we can kind of do an evaluation to see if we might be a good fit for what you're trying to do. BatemanCollective.com is the website and you can feel free to reach out there. If anybody has any questions for me personally or just wants to get to know me or whatever the case is, my email is brandon at BatemanCollective.com. You can always feel free to reach out with anything. Awesome. Thank you so much again, Brandon. I appreciate it. Yep. I appreciate it. Thank you. And thank you for listening to our podcast today, brought to you by Bonavest Capital. We would really appreciate it if you can go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. 
Also, please don't forget to subscribe so you can always get the latest episodes. You can also connect with us on Facebook, How Did They Do It Real Estate? We'd love to hear your feedback and any topics that you're interested in for future episodes. If you're anything like Zayla and me and believe that real estate investing is a great way to create passive income and build long-term wealth, check out our free apartment syndication due diligence checklist for passive investors at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Zayla and I created this checklist for ourselves as we evaluated different multifamily syndication opportunities as a passive investor. So we would love to share it with you so you can use it as a resource as well. Download your free copy today at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Lastly, to learn more about us, you can go to bonavestcapital.com and fill out the contact us page so you can speak to us directly. Nothing on the show should be considered as specific personal advice. Please consult your legal, tax, and real estate professionals for individualized advice.